Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Well, today we're going to be in part two of our series that we're calling Grateful. Grateful. So if you've got a copy of Scripture, uh, go with me. Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Philippians 4 in the New Testament. I'd uh, love for you to go there. If you have a hard or digital copy of Scripture, just allows you to track and see the power of God's Word. We'll also put some verses on the screen behind me um, for you to follow along with where we're going to be. Um, last week, if you are with us, we kicked off our series, and we all agreed that we now live in a culture where complaining is rampant, okay? Complaining is everywhere. And I'm so confident in what God did last week that none of you who were here woke up as Mr. Grumpy Pants for seven straight days. Is that accurate? It, okay, uh, I'm, I'm not seeing agreement from some spouses in the room. They're like, nope, nope, he still did. He still did, okay? I mean, God's growing this in us, okay? But we live in a culture now where complaining is rampant. It comes from everyone. We said last week it comes from everywhere, and we'll complain about just about everything. It is true. It's a reality. And, and so last week, we kind of launched in with some verses that are kind of framing out our series. They're helping us see the need for that. Some scripture that actually speaks towards that complaining part of our broken nature. Okay, and so I want us to look at these two verses first before we get to Philippians 4. Um, here's what Paul writes, Philippians 2 verse 14. Don't miss the beginning of it. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Okay, some of you parents, you need to write that. Put it on the refrigerator for your kids, okay? All right, some of you spouses on the nightstand for your spouse. Okay, Because I'm sure it's not you. It's always them. But there's what Paul says. Do everything without complaining and arguing. So that, verse 15, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights, in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Here's what scripture says. The world is full of complainers. Complaining comes so easy. We don't have to think about it. It just flows out of us. So he says, so choose to live a grateful life rather than a complaining life because when you do, it allows you to be a clear representative of Jesus in the world. That's what it says. It says a grateful life shines like a bright light in a very dark world. And so in November, in a month where we think about a holiday where we are supposed to be grateful, the calendar tells us that's what you do on that day, right? We name the day that, Thanksgiving. I mean, we're we're, we're challenging ourselves in a whole different way to go, what if it's not just a calendar supposed to response of our life, but what if we begin to literally choose lives that are full of gratitude, lives that are grateful in our response? And so today, here's where I want to go. I want to talk about the power of living grateful in the middle of the trials of life. The power of being grateful in the middle of the trials of life. Because let's, I mean, let's be honest today, okay? It is really easy when life is good to be grateful, okay? Can I just get a nod? Let me know you're awake, you're in agreement, okay? Like, man, when, when, when life's good, okay? Job's steady, marriage is at a good place, relationships are healthy, kids are behaving, parents aren't on your nerves, finances are decent, okay? Oh man, it's easy to live grateful at that point. But let's be real. Life doesn't always go that way. It doesn't. Man, life happens and life gets to difficult, broken, hard seasons. And we've all found ourselves in a difficult season of life. And maybe chances are for you, you're in that right now. Maybe your marriage right now is at an all-time low. And perhaps you're, you're battling some kind of health diagnosis or issue that you quite honestly never thought you'd have to face. Or there's division between you and your parents or you and your kids because of an issue that 
that you never thought, you know, would be reconciled, and maybe it's still not reconciled. Maybe finances are struggling right now, and that's causing so much tension in your life and your relationship and your family at your business. You see, life can hand us some really sour, difficult places, and in those moments, let's be real, it's hard to choose to be grateful. So today, what I want us to do is I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that speaks truth to us in those difficult places, and says, here's how you can choose grateful lives in a difficult place. In Philippians 4, Paul's writing from one of the most difficult to write from places, right? From a prison cell in Rome, because he's been put in prison because of his faith. And in that, he writes a letter, four-chapter letter, to the people at Philippi, believers at Philippi. And he says, hey, here's how I'm choosing gratitude. Here's how I'm choosing to be thankful in the midst of this prison place of my life. What I know is, man, for some of us, we get to that prison place of life. It's a dark, lonely, eerie place. And maybe you're there today. Maybe you just walked out of that season, or maybe that season's coming. You don't even know it. So today, I want us to see the model, the example that Paul um, gives us and the truth that he lays out for us in the middle of those seasons. So let's read read our whole passage together, verses four through eight of Philippians four, and then we'll come back and highlight some different truth that I believe will apply to our lives Verse four, Paul writes this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Verse seven, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, in those verses, I believe Paul identifies, he points out some truths for us on how we can choose and be grateful in the middle of the trials of our life. And so today, if you're taking notes, here's the first truth that Paul points out is, we'll say it this way, rejoice in the goodness of God. Rejoice in the goodness of God. Of God. Now, the word rejoice is a powerful word, probably not a word that you use on your typical Monday. You don't just show up to the office and start throwing rejoice around, okay? It's not in our normal vocabulary, but, but there's some power in this word. Now, the, the definition here, the command is a lifestyle that overflows with joy because of an active choice of our will, whether we're confronted with joyful or adverse circumstances. Or we could just summarize it very simply to say this. Rejoice means to live with intentional, consistent joy. Okay, all of those words matter. To live with intentional, consistent joy. Seven different times in just the four quick chapters of Philippians, Paul uses that command. He says, rejoice, choose joy, rejoice. Over and over, seven different times, because he knew the power of that. Now, it's essential that we notice um, the prefix that Paul uses here, okay? How many of you remember English class and prefix? Okay, for some of you, that's been a minute, all right, a hot minute, all right? But Paul uses a prefix. It's the beginning of the word that he uses here, and he uses the prefix re. Now, these two simple letters bring a lot of clarity to this command and how we should live it out, okay? So the prefix re, I want to I look at two different angles, two different definitions and meanings that it can bring. First, it means to indicate withdrawal or backward motion. I like to say it this way. Re means to draw power from something that came before, right? Something that happened before, re, okay? And here, here's where that begins to apply to you, all right? Man, if you're in the room today or, or even watching online and you go, man, man, I, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus, all right? 
then here's what I know about your life. All right, there was a moment of original joy in your life. There's a, there a joy in your salvation. And maybe even right now, like you can remember that moment when you were in a worship gathering or you were talking to a friend or a parent or a spiritual mentor, or maybe you were just in a really desperate low place of life. And in that, God opened your eyes to your need for Jesus. Right? And there was a joy of salvation that happened in that. And you can remember that almost tangibly. And then for some of you, maybe you remember that day where you took that spiritual next step of baptism, as some will do next week, and you declared that Jesus has changed me inwardly, and so I'm demonstrating that outwardly. And, and there was what? There was great joy on that day. There was celebration and joy. And then, man, you can remember even that first season, the first few weeks or months or, or season after you came, you became a new creation in Christ, and, you, and then you got up and you're like, man, I'm going to work as a follower of Jesus today. I'm going to be a parent. I'm going to be a student as a new creation in Christ. There was great joy for you. But here's what I know. You've, you've lived life since then. And chances are you've allowed the, the noise of the world, the pull of our flesh, to maybe fade some of that original joy. And so here's the command from Philippians to you today is a call to rejoice, to return to the joy the original joy of your salvation. The psalmist prayed that same thing. Psalm 51, verse 12, here's what the psalmist prays. He says, restore to me, bring back to me, restore to me the joy of your salvation and God grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. For some of you today in the middle of the trial, the prison moment of whatever life has handed you, the, the calling if you're gonna choose gratitude is to rejoice in the joy of your salvation, that God granted his grace to you maybe months ago, or maybe years ago, for some of you decades ago, that you would return to that original joy, that you would rejoice. Now, as we think about rejoicing in the goodness of God, choosing gratitude and trial, I wanna be very clear to, to lay this out. There, there are some of you who are in the room today, and uh, man, you are, you are choosing to try to chase joy in things that God did not intend you to find joy and fulfillment in, okay? The next um, relationship, a little nicer stuff, a little fatter paycheck, um, a little different image, a little more acceptance or power, right? And what I'm saying to you is that, that God wants you to realize today that those things will, while they may bring you a temporary joy and fix, they, they will not finally and fully sustain you. They won't. And, and God wants you to know today that the only unshakable, unquenchable joy that we all long to be fulfilled, that can only be fulfilled through a living relationship with the living God. It's the only place that it's really found. He created that. There's an original joy there. And so as you think about that, you, you if you're living life apart from Christ, you cannot rejoice because there was no original joy, okay? You got to have something to return back Two, it has to be there before you can rejoice in it. And so re means to draw from something before, but there's a second definition that I think is equally important. And here's what we'll say also. Re also means to continually, continually keyword, return to something, right? What do we use? We use the word repeat a lot. And that means to do something what over and over and over again, kind of like your small children do. And it's like, okay, that's enough. All right, stop repeating that. But Paul here is, is, is calling us to a continual repeating. He's saying one of the ways that you choose gratefulness in the middle of the trials is to repeatedly return over and over and over to the goodness of God. 
Um, here's how the message translation words verse 4. I love it. It's, there's no clear way to say it. Philippians 4, 4 in the message says, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. I love that. Man, what a, what a clear picture. Rejoice is a call to think about and worship the goodness of God continually. Paul thought he was so important that what he, he starts verse four with it, and then what did he do? Then he returned to it, like, like two words later. He's coming back to it. What did he say? He says, rejoice in the Lord always, period, deep breath, and I will say it again, rejoice. Now, why, why did Paul put it two times in like that really short verse? Shouldn't that part have been edited out and that redundant? And I think Paul knew what is the reality for us. We forget it. Then period, and we've already forgotten. How many of you know it's so easy for the praise of Sunday to get drowned out by the problems of Monday, right? And it happens. Some, for some of us, it's every week. Paul says, rejoice. And again, rejoice. And continually rejoice. Return to that joy of the goodness of God that we would live in that place. And you see, every week as we gather together here as, as the church in this gathering of believers, um, and just like we did a while ago, there, there's a portion of our gathering that we set aside every single time where we sing and declare songs about the goodness and the character of God. We do it every week. If you're new to our house, and that's just a continual practice of it. We sing about God's love, about his goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace. We declare these things about God. And maybe for some of you, if you're real honest, like you wouldn't say it out loud, but if you're real honest kind of internally, you're like, oh, I don't really love the singing part. Like, like I'm... I don't find the full purpose in that. Like, I'm, I'm not the singing kind, or I don't like, I don't like standing all that time, or, or I, don't, I don't really get those songs, okay? And, and so let me just kind of clarify something for you. If maybe that's an internal struggle that you have in your mind, is that this, then that portion that, that is allotted, that, that thing that we do together, it's not, it's not an entertainment value, okay? It's not a production that we put on for you, um, it's not like a time filler. Hey, we got to figure out how to take up an hour. So why don't you guys sing for a portion of that so they don't have to talk as long? No, here's what that is. It is that moment is a refocusing. It is a reminder, or we could say a rejoicing in the goodness of God. Because here's what I know, man. We walked in from hundreds of different places this week, right? It's all different things going on in our world. And, and for many of us, like we walked in with the weight of life sitting right here. And so may we use that portion obediently from Scripture to go, I'm getting my mind off of right here, and I'm lifting it so that I can rejoice in the goodness and the character of God. You see, there's great purpose in that. We forget, therefore, we have to continually rejoice. It's not a one-time, it's a return to that. And so rejoice gives us the command to draw from the original joy of something. And it also says, hey, continually return to that. Now, there's one final thing about this word rejoice that we can't miss. And this command is this, that rejoicing must be shown and demonstrated. It must be shown that rejoicing in its greatest form is not quiet, inward, solemn response. Okay, there's a place for that. But Paul here is saying, no, great rejoicing. Um, I was at a football game. This past Friday night, it was cold. Man, the stands were packed, though. All right, we, we were locked in. And it would be very accurate to say that when, that when the team scored a touchdown, the fans for that particular side rejoiced. 
Okay, they, they read you. Here's how I know that to be true, because they showed it, all right? In that moment, like, they went, they went from here, sitting on their hands freezing cold, to here, all right, and acting like a fool. They were clapping. They were cheering, hugging people they didn't even know, okay, just because they're wearing the same color. Like, they're high-fiving the guy three rows behind them. Don't even know his name, but, like, they're in the middle of this rejoicing together. And what would have been really weird is if the guy would have crossed the goal line with the ball and, and, and folks would have just stood and just went, hmm, it's good, it's good. <laughs> Do it again. Do it again. Okay? Why? Wow, because rejoicing is seen. It is demonstrated. So let me ask you this. When is the last time you truly rejoiced in the goodness of God? When was that? You truly rejoice in the goodness. And listen, I don't, I don't mean you mumbled some songs in the worship gathering because well, everybody else is singing, so I don't want to like a Fruit Loop, okay? I don't mean like, hey, you clapped your hands incredibly offbeat, but like you clapped your hands because the worship pastor said, okay, let's put our hands together. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about when is the last time that the goodness of God, the joy of God in your life moved you to a visible response of joy? Here's what I'll say. For some of you, the most powerful thing that you could do, the next step for you out of today's message to bring gratefulness in the trial of your life is to practice this right here, to practice rejoicing in the goodness of God. And that may look like a lot of different things. For some of you, it may look like on the way to school, on the way to work tomorrow. Man, you crank up songs that speak of Jesus and his character, and you sing like crazy at the red light, so off-key that you can't roll down the windows. But listen to me, but it is opening your eyes. It is lifting your mind off of Monday and onto the goodness and the character of our God. And for some of you, man, it could look like getting alone in your closet, in your bedroom, at your house, and going to YouTube and finding the, crisp, or the worship music that you can find, cranking that bad boy up, and you singing and dancing, did say that, in response to the goodness of God in your life. Because what I'm saying to you is, it may look different for all of us, but there has to be a place where we use worship and rejoicing as a weapon in the trial. Paul did read Acts. He was in prison and the rejoicing became so great that the prison cells opened. And for some of you, if you're going to find that place of great full in the middle of the sour situation of life you're in, you gotta, you got to intentionally rejoice in the goodness of God. Paul goes on, verse 6 and 7. Look back with me, Philippians 4. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the second truth Paul points us to. Gratefulness in the trials is this. We're going to say it this way. To turn worry into prayer. To turn worry into prayer. How many of you would admit, honest in church today, okay, worry and anxiety is the first thing that just raises up in you whenever something wrong goes in life, okay? Awesome. A lot of warriors in the house. Awesome. We're so glad that you are here, okay? I mean, it's just a natural response of our flesh. 
The same thing in my life. Man, it, it comes up. We begin to play this. We begin to play the oh no, worst case scenario game. Do we not? Okay, some of you are like, you're above average players at that game. Like you are, you are so good at that. I've talked to you, okay? And like it, it goes down at work. Your kid does this. And it's like, oh no, worst case scenario. Here we go, all right? Our mind goes there. Guess what? Paul got it. Paul was human. He walked through the same stuff. That's why he says, verse six, he says, hey, listen to me. Don't be anxious about anything, but instead he says, hey, here's the antidote to all that worry that you spend your life with. Why don't you pray about it? Why don't you pray about it? He says, in every situation, prayer should be the first option. He says, everything is the proper subject of prayer. Well, I'm not really sure what I should pray about. Paul says everything. Not pretty much everything. In other words, there are no areas of your life that are not a concern to God. For so long, you thought that only you knew about that situation that's going on with your kid. And God says, no, I'm locked into it. You thought you were all alone in that situation, the thing that's happening with your spouse behind closed doors. And God's like, no, 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 I'm into it. I'm present. For so long, you thought that you were alone in the depression, the anxiety, the addiction, the heartbreak that you sit in in this season. God's like, no, 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 listen, I'm into it. I'm present, I'm sovereign, I care so much, I want you to talk to me about it. That you would come to me in everything. In everything, you would bring it to prayer. He says it also, Paul says Ephesians 6 verse 18. Look at this on the screen. He says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That pretty much opens the whole thing up. Well, I don't know if he would care. No, he does. And he says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Paul's giving not an option, but it's a command. He's saying, do this as a follower of Jesus. He's telling us when we allow ourselves, don't miss this, when we allow ourselves to get to that such deep place of worry and anxiety and worry and anxiety, here's what we do. We put ourselves in a place that only God belongs. See, he, he, we, we kind of take over the father role in the household. And he says, no, 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 I just called you to be a kid. I'm the daddy. I'm in control. I'm sovereign over the situation. One of the things that I'm so grateful for that God has blessed me with in my life is that God has given me a dad who has gone ahead of me in ministry um, for all of my life, all 36 years. My dad has served on a church staff somewhere in some capacity. Um, and man, so I've had a chance to watch him just grow in that wisdom in ministry. And so actually tonight we will celebrate um, 30 years, the last 30 years of his life serving at one single church over the last 30 years. I mean, he has so much wisdom when it comes to ministry concerns, the things of leading people towards Jesus. And so, like, I can't count the number of times over the last decade as I've tried to lead out in ministry where I picked up the phone and I just call my dad because I got a ministry concern. Sometimes it's small things where I just need, like, a little encouragement, a little attaboy. And sometimes it's big, hairy stuff. And I'm like, Dad, I need wisdom. I need guidance. But you know what? Here's what I know. Every single time I hit Dad on the phone, you know what I know? He's going to answer. You know why? Because he cares every time. And scripture says, your dad does too. That he cares about it all. So much so, he wants you to talk to him about it. He doesn't want you to keep it in, I'll figure it out, I'm man enough, I can do it. He says, no, every situation that you would bring to me in prayer. And when you do, you know what happens? The intimacy grows deeper every time. The trust goes deeper every time. And then scripture says this, not only does the intimacy and trust grow, but watch this. There's an amazing benefit and blessing that is given to your life. You probably missed it. Look back at verse 7, Philippians 4. 
Here's what it says. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Scripture says when you learn to turn your worry into prayer, okay, in the middle of the trials of life, God will give you a peace that is greater than what you can comprehend. That's what Paul says. Now listen, God's peace isn't just like this outer physical protection, but there is an inward, deeper spiritual protection of your heart and mind. It's not a psychological state. It's not like, found the best meme on Facebook today, that's going to help me think better through the day. Okay, for some of us, that's where we're living. No, Paul says, no, there's a deeper peace that surpasses all understanding, and it is based on who we are in Christ on what he has done for us and our continual relationship with him. He says it's there. Isaiah 26, 3. Look at the Old Testament. It says, you will keep, God, you will keep in perfect peace. Who? Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. They lean into you. How many of you would admit, okay, be honest. How many of you admit when you were little, like you were just a little bit like weather scared? Whenever there's bad weather, okay, like you got, you got a little freaked out. Okay, awesome. Some of you lying in the room. You're like, no, I wasn't. Yes, you were. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. Okay, like I, I was there. All right, I was there sometimes. I didn't have it like real bad, but it would happen. Um, in my parents' house, I remember they had what was called a weather radio. Okay, anybody know what a weather radio is? I'm not talking about cell phone, weather channel app, bam, 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 flash flood. That's not what I'm talking about. There was no phones that were smarter than us at that point, all right? It was a radio, like a literal radio. Um, it didn't play like your favorite songs, but it just sat in the bedroom. And I remember the day my dad brought it home, he programmed it so all the surrounding counties, anytime bad weather moved in, uh, like it would go off and it would go like, hey, here's what's happening. And, and so I'll, I'll never forget that tone, man. Like we could be anywhere in the house and all of a sudden a little alarm goes off. Okay. And you could hear it from the kitchen all the way on the other side, and then the house would grow silent because everybody was listening for that little voice. Uh, the National Weather Service has detected. <laughs> Some of you, I did. You had that same radio, didn't you? The same guy, he was on yours too, right? And I'm serious, we would all listen and go, the National Weather Service in Jackson has detected a tornado, our warning, right? And in that moment, as a little boy at that point, man, fear would just raise up in me. It would, because, man, we'd, we'd had a couple of tornadoes that kind of hit central Mississippi. And so, like, I'm, man, I'm on, I'm on edge because there were so many things when that got announced, I didn't know. Like, I didn't know the counties. Okay? I don't know where Tishomingo County was. I was on my radar as a seven-year-old. I didn't know the county, so I didn't know how close it was to us. I couldn't ever remember the difference in watch and warning, warning, watch. All I knew is that one of them meant that the tornado was on the ground and we were taking the pillows to the hall bathroom bathtub because it was coming. And here's what I'm saying, that whenever I heard that weather alert on my own, fear just automatically, it would raise up in me because I don't know. And my immediate reaction every time, as soon as the guy stopped talking, I went to try to find where my dad was in the house. And I go, hey, what did that mean? And every time my dad would begin to explain, he would say, no, 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 listen, that's not anywhere near us. That's going north, it's going south, we're good. Or he would say, no, it's coming this way, but it's not that severe. And what would happen is the fear that was raised in me, the moment, okay, the moment that my dad began to speak his wisdom and protection over my life, a peace came over me. And so here's what I would ask you. What do you need to talk to your daddy about? You have a heavenly father who is, he is in control. He's sovereign. What, no, you're not my situation. Yes, he is. 
He knows the wind and the waves. He's in touch with your life. And guess what? He, he wants so much for you to bring it to him. And if you're going to find gratitude in the middle of the trial, you've got to begin to choose to turn the worry into the prayer. The moment that worry sinks in, the anxiety's here. It's Monday. This situation happened. I got the phone call. Here's the text message. Okay, Daddy, I'm coming to you. See, choosing gratitude in the midst of the storm means that you choose to turn worry into prayer. There's one final verse. I don't want us to miss it. Philippians 4 verse 8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Here's the final truth Paul leads us in. How to be grateful in the trials, we'll say it this way, is to learn to filter your mind. Learn to filter your mind. The first place that the enemy attacks us in the trials is your mind. It is. Okay. Verse 6 said it. We just talked about worry, right? Where does that start? Worry, anxiety, here, right? Verse eight, he's just reinforcing that. He's going, it starts there. The mind is an incredibly powerful place. I love the old author, Mark Twain. He once said it this way. Listen to it. He says, what a wee little part of a person's life are his actions and his words. His real life is led in his head and is known by no one but himself. Oh, what a true statement. Man, what we allow to occupy our minds will sooner rather than later become our actions and our words. The, the mind is the spiritual battleground on the road to being grateful. And Paul wrote about it multiple times, not just in Philippians. He's like, man, you got to win the war of the mind. Romans 12, 2, he says it this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. That's easy. But be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says it again. We demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and here's the war, and we take captive every thought, every part of our mind to make it obedient to Christ. The path to being grateful begins in your mind, and that's why Paul in verse 8, he gives us this list, this filter to filter our mind through. Did you see it? He says, what you think about, what you dwell on should be whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. So let me ask you, how much of your day, how many of your thoughts in a day are filtered through that filter? How many of them are defined by that kind of thinking? Chances are, it's a struggle, right? Because we live in a negative, complaining, broken, sinful world that doesn't just produce <coughs> thoughts that are true and noble and right and lovely and pure and admirable. So how do we do that? Well, it's part of the purpose of this series. That's why last week, if you were with us, we kicked off a very simple, incredibly practical thing just called 25 Days to Grateful. We're like, man, what would it look like if we became grateful people and it started in our minds? Such a simple thing. Anybody can do it. You're in Christ. You're not in Christ. I mean, we learn to be grateful. And so last week we began to say, hey, let's all together, all right, start journaling just three things, three things, that's it, every day between now and Thanksgiving, Thursday, November 28th, on 25 days to grateful. Three things, 25 days, 75 things that we can go, man, I'm grateful, man, I'm grateful, because we saw this fact, this truth last week that our, our minds can literally be rewired, our brain can be rewired and reshaped, okay, to, to think differently, to see the world differently 
with a practice or discipline that's walked out for around 30 days. So we're like, woo, leverage that into gratitude. We want to be this grateful people. Let's do this thing. And so, man, here's what I'd say. If you missed last week, jump in, okay? It ain't too late. Like, start today. You got about, you know, 18 days left, 25 days to grateful. And so we're writing them down, some of you in a notebook, some of you putting it in your phone. It's on a Post-it note at your cubicle, in your car, where we're practicing being grateful people. Anybody can do it. And then some of you, like you, you took the next step and you're like, hey, man, I live a lot of my life on social media. That's just kind of a thing for me. And so you've been posting your three things. And we encourage you, hey, use a hashtag. Just hashtag it, 25 days to grateful. You write that down. So as you post, like on Facebook, on Instagram, here's my three things. Man, I'm working 25 days to grateful. You put that on there. And it's been so cool to watch some of you take a stand. And let's be real, one of the most negative places of our whole culture, which is social media, Maybe you were a contributor to the negativity, and now you're going, no, like, we're going to flip the script because God's so good in me. I'm rejoicing the goodness of God, man. I'm turning worry into prayer. All right, I'm rejoicing in that. And so here's who I am now. Man, I want you to see the gratefulness that's in my heart, that God's growing in me. And here's what I say, man. If that's you, man, keep it up, okay? We're seven days in. Do not get weary. Hang in there. You can do it. Man, God is reshaping us. But today I want to give one final challenge and just a reminder for some of you, okay? And and here's what I want us to see. If we're going to be grateful in the trials of life, because we all face them, the truth is there's nothing of this world that will continually fill your mind with this kind of truth that's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. There's nothing of this world that just continually feed that. There's some things that will periodically give that to you, but listen to me. The only source that will continually feed your mind with that kind of truth is the truth of God's word. That's it. That's the only place where it's unshakable, it's unchanging. So let me ask you this question. How are you doing as a dad, as a high school student, as a grandparent, how are you doing at filling your mind with the truth of God's word? Consistently. Now, one of the ways that we do that is through right here. Okay, we gather every week, we open up God's word, we hear it through preaching. Vitally important. But I would argue at the same level of importance is you chasing after it on your own Monday through Saturday. Spiritually, listen to me, we don't eat at a Sunday buffet. You ate one meal a week, you would starve yourself to death, okay? We eat consistently as we go, God, fill me up. God, fill me up. God, renew my mind. God, filter my mind. So I just want to invite you just real simply as a church, um, man, we're, we're 10 and a half months into this little reading plan that you heard our band refer to earlier, just called the Life Journal Reading Plan. Here's what it looks like. We're reading through the New Testament, 27 books in 2019. Know what that means? One chapter a day, five days a week. You got two days to catch up because chances are you might not be perfect. You might not go seven for seven. One chapter a day, five days a week. And so here's what I'd say, man, we're in James right now. There's a month and a half left. Still a great time for you to jump in and go, like, God, I want to consistently fill my mind with that, with those thoughts. I want to filter my mind in such a way that I become grateful. So here's what this looks like for you. If you're interested, you're like, hey, I'm kind of new to the family, didn't know about the Life Journal. Here's all you got to do. Pull out your phone, like right now, just text the word Bible. It's right here on the screen behind me. Text the word Bible to that number. Just do it right now. Here's what that does. That'll set you up. And once, once a week on Sunday afternoons, we'll just kick you a little reminder. One text, one text, and it just says, hey, here's where we're going this week. Don't forget, stay in there. And God begins to use that to reshape, to change our thinking. See, I'm convinced that you will, you will never filter and refuel, refill your mind consistently with that kind of truth, those kind of thoughts, 
until you learn to personally and consistently live in the truth of God's word. I didn't say you got to read for an hour. For some of you, maybe you can. For some of you, it may be five minutes, 10 minutes of going, God, pour your truth, pour your truth into me. You know why? Because the trials of life are inevitable. They're coming. Life will break. And for some of you, it's right now. So here's my question. How are you going to choose to be grateful in the trials of life? I think Philippians makes it pretty clear that we would choose to rejoice continually in the goodness of God, that we would turn that worry, just immediately turn it into prayer. God, turn it into prayer. Daddy, I'm coming to you. And then finally, that we would learn to filter our minds with truth that will last. Let me pray for us. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.